Thank you. What a great blessing it is to worship the Lord together here at South City Church. Did you all have uh, some good Christmas gatherings? It's uh, so good to know uh, we had a wonderful time together at Christmas. Both of our daughters came in with their families, and we had some in-laws. We had lots of grandchildren underfoot. Uh, I guess there's one word for it, hullabaloo. Just, uh, it, it was such a good time. And I'm blessed this morning because both uh, my daughters are here. Leah and Sarah are here, and Jamie, her, Sarah's husband, and our wonderful granddaughter, Julia, whom we love so much. We're so glad that you're here this morning. Um, so we had a great time, and uh, Colleen and, and I and the dog are still enjoying leftovers. And some of you are too, I'm sure. Um, there was a, a sad note uh, this Christmas. Um, learned after the Christmas holiday that Colleen's cousin, Edna, uh, who lives in Arizona, uh, her mother had died. We knew that her mother had died in November. Uh, but uh, she was feeling abandoned by family, and she was feeling alone and sad. And we tried to, to encourage her as best we could but, you know, when somebody is alone and they're feeling betrayed and they're embittered, uh, just reminded me that, you know, this season is hard for some people. Some people, uh, you know, the, tis the season to be jolly, and yet some people really are having it hard, and maybe some of you have had some difficult times during the holidays. And the holidays are not over yet. We have yet New Year's to come. And so this is a very, very special time, and I would encourage you, uh, if you know somebody that's alone or that is feeling sad and whatever the, the cause is uh, for the sorrow, uh, that you would reach out and encourage them during especially this season. I know some of you have your own heartaches and losses, and, and uh, so, uh, you know, you are in, in our hearts. The beautiful thing, uh, one of the beautiful things about being here at South City is our small group gatherings. There is absolutely always and ever a reason in small group. We can share who we are, our foibles, our you know, uh, difficulties, uh, our joys. And you know, we were designed to share life together, to be in fellowship with one another, and there's where we so much enjoy bearing one another's burdens and lifting up those moments. They become so much less sad when they're shared. And when people are alone and feel abandoned, uh, it can be a, a, a bitter time indeed. So I want to say that uh, getting to know many of you better in 2018 has been one of the highlights of my year. <laughs> so I'm moved by so many of you, grateful for so many of you. Uh, Drew and, and uh, Daryl, Elvis, Brother Jerry, uh, you have been so such a blessing to me. And uh, Dee and Justin, to be, to, to be in, in your number is just amazing to me and, and, and truly humbling. I'm just so grateful that, that I have this fellowship and, and, and the fellowship at large. It's just such a blessing. Well, uh, on the screen, uh, you'll see that we have, a, I have a title here called pressing on in 2019. And what's behind that are some 
simple disciplines that are all three of them bring joy uh, from the letter of Paul to the, to the Philippians, which is known as the epistle of joy because the word joy or cheer is, is in there like 16 times. It's just repeated over and over and over again in this epistle. In this epistle. And so uh, three simple disciplines. Now, uh, I haven't mastered them. It's kind of like you know, mastering what the violin or vocal or whatever it is you're, you're calling or your gift might be. Uh, and so many of you are so gifted and I'm amazed at your gifts. Uh, but we, we don't really master them, do we? There's a heart voice connection. There's a heart guitar. There's a, it's, it's something we, have to, we keep working at, and we put a lot into it. So that's part of what I'm wanting to get across this morning about pressing on. You know, there's things, whether it's, a, whether it's playing guitar or playing an instrument or singing or whatever it may be, you, unless you press into it, you're not going to do well at it. And I think those of you who are in the arts, you know that. It's, it's, it's a part of discipline. So, likewise, we're called to master some things. And so that's what I want to share with you this morning. Now, most messages end with a, with a call, with a call. And I have turned things upside down this morning because I'm going to start with a call, a call of Jesus to you. And so I want you to kind of open your hearts to Jesus' words when he says this. He says, come to me. Oop, I'm not clear. Oh, did I turn it off? No. Here we go. Thank you. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden light. Now those are uplifting words, and yet they're the call of Jesus to come. Come to me. And he is promising at the very start to do these things for you. And his call to you, if you'll open your heart to it, it's the foundation for everything here this morning that follows. Uh, this yoke he talks about, this burden, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that he designed you, he designed you, he created you to carry that yoke and to desire to have that burden and to carry that burden. It's, you were specially designed for it. And so that brings us into the passage where I want to start, and uh, this is the first verse of Philippians 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you. Now, I think it's really appropriate. Uh, you know, you might think I just chose this, this, this end-of-the-year message that starts with the word finally. Well, I don't think I did choose it. I think the Lord chose it for us. Uh, it's a good word, finally. And Paul is really saying, after all the other things that I've shared and sharing about you, I want you to really get this. Finally. And the very next thing he says is so key. Now, I told you I turned my message upside down, right? So I want to announce right now that this is 
point two of my message. Well, what was point one? Well, I haven't got to point one yet. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I, I have sometimes I'm, I'm a little disorganized. It's, so I'm starting this message with point two. Well, it's in the passage here too as, as point two. And you'll see later why. why. Rejoice in the Lord. And I want to really focus on this. It's so, so important for you and for me. It's far deeper than, oh, every cloud has a, has a, has a uh, silver lining. You know, just cheer up, you know, that the world uh, t- tends to throw out there. And tis the season to be jolly and so forth and so forth. This is not that. What you have here in rejoice in the Lord is a direct command for every disciple of Jesus. It's a direct command. It is a spiritual discipline. It is a, an exercise, a practice, if you would. And the reason why it's so prominent in Scripture is, I think, right, Paul doesn't apologize. I'm saying again and again and again. Remember how he says rejoice, and again I say rejoice? And so it is in Scripture. So many times I did a search in my little Um, on my phone, actually, and it came out that rejoice and joy and cheer are in Scripture almost the same number of times that, as I understand it, the words fear not. 365 times fear not. Well, rejoice and take joy and have joy and cheer and good cheer. All that's in Scripture about the same number of times if you just look at it. Do do your own um, research on that, but uh, it's amazing. So the idea is You know, if the Holy Spirit is repeating something, I think he's saying, listen, pay attention to this. You know, it's no, if every word is is part of our making, is part of who we are, then when those words are repeated, it means it's so dear to God, so dear, so important. It needs to be very, very precious to us. And so this discipline is something that I am far, far from Mastering. I want to press into this, and I want to call you to press into this. Not just in 2019. Hey, this is the day. Today is the day that we're going to rejoice in. So this is something that God wants you to master today. He wants you to work at it today, to rejoice in the Lord. Now, I'm sure you've heard, as I have heard many times, that this has nothing to do with circumstances. This, And, and I believe that. It, it's supposed to have nothing to do with circumstances. And yet... And I've heard it, and I've felt it and thought it myself, that when times are difficult and I have had a setback, whether in health or or a strained relation or something else that troubles me, I think this is so much harder to do. Well, don't talk to me about rejoicing in the Lord right now. Things are just tough right now. It's harder. But I'm going to suggest to you just the opposite this morning. I actually think this spiritual discipline is actually harder to do when things are going great. Let's say you've had a promotion. You were praying and you passed that organic chemistry test that was such a bear that you were so worried about. Or something else, say, you know, uh, your, your pain lessened or, or, or it disappeared. You were healed. Hallelujah. You know, every, not just talents, but every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And the thing is, it's tearing our outward eyes off those outward gifts and blessings and opening our inner eyes to the giver, loving not the gift more 
ever than the giver. But our natural tendency is to love the gift and to rejoice in the gift. But, you know, I know many of you, and I've had this experience too, when you turn to God and you say, oh, Lord, you know, I know you were behind this, and we raise our hearts to him and we give thanks, the knowledge that he is in that good thing that we got is precious and dear, and it makes it all the more important. And that's why this is a spiritual gift, not just for hard times, which it is for hard times, but it's a, it's a spiritual discipline for when times are good. And so this is what this call is really about. And now Paul says it another way in Colossians. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are, are above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. You hear the, the urgency in the, in the directives? Set your mind. Seek. So rejoice in him, dear brothers and sisters. Uh, rejoice in him, uh, in his love for you, in his care for you, in his tenderness, his amazing tenderness that he has for you. This is a morning to nighttime exercise for your soul. And none of us have mastered it. And we'll see in a little bit, Paul confesses that he hasn't mastered it either. And so this is something for us to really work at. And so, so it's a command intended for good times and bad. And I want you to see that Paul's context here is bad times. Look at this. Paul is where? Writing from, this is a prison epistle. He's writing from, he's in a, in a Roman prison, probably chained to some guard. And he's, it, it's difficult for him. In the previous chapter, in chapter 2 of Philippians, this epistle of joy, we, we read that Epaphroditus, he says, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, he was, he was ill, almost, you know, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and on me also. And then he says this, he says, lest I have sorrow upon sorrow. So prison life, he's He's experiencing sorrow upon sorrow. And he, in this context, he says, finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. That's the context. Sorrow upon sorrow. So here's the, here's the Philippians. In this very chapter, that's chapter 2, that's before the chapter we're looking at, eight times we read joy and cheer in the context of sorrow. So that's, a, that's really another way of saying that this is a discipline. It's not, it is definitely not about your circumstances. Is it easier when times are hard? No. Is it easier when times are good? No. It's just not easy. It's something that you're called to press into, to press on with. And I feel that call, and I feel very, very deeply that I am so, so far from mastering this, and, but God has given me the want to. And if you're with me, and I'm with you, we're going to work at this one in, in 2019. Here's how Peter taught us to practically uh, rejoice in the Lord. Oh, allow me to just share the, the Lord's words right here, which are so important about this. He says, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. Remember, rejoice in the Lord. Jesus is really saying the same thing. 
So Paul's teaching and the teaching of the apostles is really derivative here. He says, in me you might have peace, and in the world you will have tribulation. Jesus is saying it right out. It's not easy. This life is not going to be easy. So here it is. Be of good cheer. Why? Because I, he says, have overcome the world. He's really saying, be of good cheer. Rejoice in me. I have overcome. It's not going to be easy for you. Was it easy for the apostles? Of course it wasn't. So here's how Peter taught us practically to rejoice in the Lord. And I love this. And I do appreciate these words so much. Because cares come every day. And what he's calling us to do is to lift those cares to him. Cast them. Cast those cares on the Lord. Why? Oh, because he loves you. He loves you. He cares for you so much. He wants you to, every time you have a care, are you designed to carry it yourself and to get stooped and embittered? You know, no, he wants you to continually. Peter knew this discipline. The disciples practiced this. The Lord, as you see, taught them to do that. How often do I do it? Not often enough. How serious am I about this? Oh, more serious after struggling with this a little bit this week, a lot, actually. Um, so whether in sorrow, whether in hurt, in time of good cheer, rejoice in the Lord. This song that we sang just before I came up, just before we took up the offering. Um, it is well with my soul. I want to share a little bit about this amazing, amazing hymn that we just sang together. Um, I, every time I sing this hymn, and I say, when peace like a river attends my way, and sorrows like sea billows roll, you know, whatever my lot, Thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Amazing, amazing words. Now, you've heard the story, and I, for some of you it's going to be a repeat, but I just want to share again how uh, the man who wrote this hymn, Horatio Spafford was his name, and he lived in the city of Chicago in the 19th century, in the latter part of the 19th century. He was a lawyer there, and he had a lot of property, and he had a wife named Anna and four daughters, and then in 19, uh, 1871, 1871, there's this huge fire. It's actually called the Great Chicago Fire. There's an enormous amount of history about this fire. He lost all his properties. He had several properties. He was a wealthy man who was well-recognized in the community and probably greatly needed in the community. But he lost them all, and he became homeless, along with 100,000 other Chicagoans of, the last, of that century. Um, now... What, with all of the stress involved in taking care of homeless and, and rebuilding and, and so forth. Two years later, he sends his wife and, and his four daughters to England for a rest, a time of rest. And he intends to join them, but he's very much engaged in the city recovery, which is far from, far from complete after only two years. And so, so they're on their way to, to England. Now, in, in uh, October... I think it was October 2nd of 1873, he receives a telegram from his wife, which began with the words, saved alone. Saved alone, what shall I do? Saved alone, what shall I do? Well, Horatio got on a boat and was crossing the Atlantic to return to his wife and his daughters 
And he wrote these words as he looked at the sea billows rolling that had taken his own four daughters. But he was practicing this discipline of rejoicing in the Lord. He knew Paul had sorrow on sorrow, and he had sorrow on sorrow. Excuse me, four times, sorrow on sorrow and sorrow and sorrow. And he wrote this, these beautiful words. He didn't know that they would become this best-loved hymn that has touched me, you know, and has touched you. But I'm touched by the fact that here is a brother who has mastered. He would not have been able to write that, to, to share those thoughts if he hadn't practiced this. And that's, look at how the fruit of a well-practiced Christian discipline is continually bearing even this very morning as we all lifted our hearts and sang this beautiful song. Now, that's just, that's just amazing, but uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful hymn. And, and it came from the practice of that very discipline that I believe the Lord is calling me and I believe he's calling you to press on into, give it all your heart to learn what this means, to rejoice in the Lord. And you know, I'm going to tell you that uh, if, you, if, we, if we master this together, you know, talk about a, a church being a lighthouse, there's going to be a lighthouse in this city. And I believe that, that, that uh, you know, that God is, is doing something amazing in our fellowship here, and I think that's going to be part of it. So, uh, Paul then goes on to share about enemies without and enemies within. So I want to share about the enemies without. He st starts with these words, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. And why is he warning us about these, these evil workers out there? Uh, why is he so urgent about saying beware and, and watch out? Are they so difficult to spot, these evil people? Well, I think the answer is yes. And now, speaking of dogs, um, oh, I left that in there. This has ruined my whole point. Uh, this has ruined my whole point. By the way, I'm still on point two. We haven't got to point one yet. Um, yeah, no, I put it in on purpose. You know why? Because, you know, when I was reading this passage, and, I, I, and it says, beware of dogs, you know, and we have this beautiful sweet puppy that we have loved. We love her so much. We loved all the animals that we've had. We were even talking about sharing about animals we love. Any other dog lovers in here, by the way? Okay. Ah, well, there's a few dog lovers. Well, maybe you also have a disconnect with this, with this verse like I do. Beware of dogs. Well, I think that the main thought here and the main idea, well, I almost can't pass this picture. I love her so much. Anyway, here we go. <laughs> Colossians 3.2 is saying, beware of dogs. And the point is, his point is, you know, dogs in the Middle East were a, were a symbol of absolute consuming selfishness. All they wanted was another scrap here, another scrap there. They ran in bands. And the idea is, dogs are who these people are by nature. It's not how they look, mind you. This is the nature. This is the, this is the kind of individual that can subtly undermine your desire to do what we're talking about, to rejoice in the Lord. To, you want to beware of evil workers because it's what they do and what they don't do. And I want to say just briefly here that what an evil worker will do is very, very subtle, but it will be the opposite of what you read in Scripture, say in the book of Acts. 
they're not going to want the church to live in, in fellowship. They're not going to want the church to be the church that, of God who loves all people alike. Uh, they're not going to follow these. They're going to have their own ideas. They're going to have their own gospel, if you will. It's not going to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, and he says, beware of the mutilation. Why he says, he says mutilation, he's talking about circumcision, but he uses this, this word to, uh, to say, listen, if you think that because you belong to a certain group of people or a certain, you know, like I do, uh, like I did or do, uh, and that's where you take your, that's where you feel justified, and that's where you feel that you're an important person because of this thing, you know, he's saying that's not it. It's the fact, if you think you, that's what, what, what's, that's the mutilation. That's not what it really, that's not the real thing here. So the point is that outwardly, you know, we can't see, we can't recognize the dogs by the way they look, although you could recognize our Lacey now by the way she looks. And sometimes we bring her and walk her in the church here. So, but but it, it, the thing is, is that they, it's who they are. And the thing is they put their best foot forward. Uh, their best foot forward. They know the art of the soundbite. They know the art of impressions. Uh, they, the art of winning our trust by beauty brains, bossiness by appealing to our natural pride. And are you, you might say, well, Jeff, are you saying that it's wrong to dress well? No, no. No, I love, actually love these shoes. I picked this because I think this is really cool. You know, it's really, a, a, it's, a, it's a good look, you know. But my point is, is just because it looks good doesn't mean it is. You don't have to have, you know, you can, you can dress however you wish, and it's not going to mean that you're more important or less important. We know that, that dress does not commend us to God. I'm just saying that good dress are, it, are things to be appreciated, and I appreciate good style. But, um, but the thing is, is that how people have gained power over me and sometimes over you in life, is through the deceptive cravings of my own fallen nature. You see, when I have a craving for acceptance, there's going to be somebody that's real slick and, and attractive and, and convincing that's going to tell me, hey, my, our denomination is the only true denomination. They're going to say that to me because I have this craving for acceptance. Or I may have a need to be in the right, to be justified. And so, the, uh, I, oh, I see that circumcision is, is the way, you know, and so forth. So, or my craving for self-importance. And so somebody's going to convince me that this is the only right tribe, the right sect, the right school, the right religion, the right this or the right that. And that's my craving. That's my own sinful craving. They appeal to that. And by the way, the reason I believe this is here in this passage is that's how they got Saul before he was born again with the Spirit of God and became Paul. And so I'm I've also experienced this on the mission field. In Ukraine, we had uh, some videos that were being shared by people in one of our mission churches, like wildfire. And what were the videos of? A man who was very eloquent, very well-dressed, eloquent, powerful, had six degrees, and he was talking about visions he had had of going to hell. And who did he meet in hell but believers of, in Jesus in hell? And what do you say? Why did he meet him there? 
because they weren't keeping the law. But the people in, the, in our mission church were very, very wowed and swayed by his impressive smoothness, his intention, his intentionality. And they started asking, well, you know, we do need to keep the law. Don't we have to keep the law to be saved? And I would come back with, well, what do the Scriptures say? What do the Scriptures say? What are you listening to? And finally it came out, these videos. And I watched one of these videos in horror. It was, it was a slick performer uh, stealing the joy of knowing and walking with Jesus and knowing His love and His wonderful care. And they were all caught up in going to hell. What happened to Jesus? And so, you know, so, so important. That's why I came. So our Lord told us very plainly how we can know these types. Uh, this is an amazing picture. Maybe you've seen it before, but here, listen to Jesus' words. He said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You will know them, how? By their fruits. Do men gather grapes from bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. You know, and here's the thing, dear people. We don't need to be waylaid by impressive, smooth, attractive, powerful uh, people who have it all together. I hope, that, <laughs> I hope you realize I don't have it all together. And, uh, you know, after all, I, I'm, I haven't even gotten to point one. Uh, so, but the important thing is not that, not that great organization or whatever it may be, but the important thing is that the fruit of the Spirit, you know them, and you recognize them because you walk with God, you pray to Him, you're connected to Him, and you have this beautiful Spirit of His inside. And only His Spirit brings forth love. Only His Spirit brings forth um, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Only He can do that. And that's why every time, my friend, every time you rejoice in the Lord, every time you practice spiritual disciplines, you can't do that without connecting with Him and with the one who produces the things that make a tree good. That you are a good tree because He's in you. The fruit comes from Him. And so Paul uh, put this warning here, I think, because he was the victim of this kind of thinking. In fact, he became one of those evil workers. He was an evil worker because he was in that system. He was, he was brought up in that system. And he knows the danger personally. And so uh, those are the kind of people that, uh, God, that, Paul, that, that the world used to put him on greased rails to become a highly regarded leader in that religious system. And so he knows the danger of it. And so he comes here now and he talks about something that is so important in the next verse. He says, we are the circumcision. And he's saying that we are the real circumcision. This is not the mutilation that I was talking about. The real circumcision is about having that, all those things that stand in the way, being cut away so that we can be, walk with our God, love our God, and know Him in the Spirit. Uh, he says, we're the circumcision who do what? Three disciplines. And here's point one. Finally, I got to point one. 
Worship it, God, in the Spirit. And here is a reminder of point two. Rejoice in Jesus Christ. Now, it wasn't my fault that the Lord put point two at the head of this message. Okay, no, just kidding. I'm not going to blame him for that. Dear friends, this is so, so important. Now, these are, the, these are the, the simple disciplines that Paul is saying in this passage. He just hasn't mastered yet. He's going to go into much more uh, detail on this last one, and we will in a minute. But here is what I'm asking you, and I believe the Lord is asking me to press into in 2019. Let us be those who worship him in spirit and in truth before anything. Like Brother Drew said this morning, you know, we're coming here together on Sunday just as a, as a, almost like a response to what's been happening every day of this week. We worshiped on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and throughout the week, we worshiped him in spirit and in truth. And now we come together and enjoy this fellowship together. It's a good thing. And we rejoice in Christ Jesus. My point, too, is that that's the second discipline that Paul is listing here that he wants to master. He wants to master. And so the third one is also joyful. When we don't have confidence in our fallen, sinful flesh, dear friends, we have freedom. You have freedom like you never knew. Freedom to do, to be, to, to, to grow up into the calling the calling, your giftedness, the things that you are designed to do, to walk well and enjoy the, 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 the burden, the light burden the Lord wants you to carry. So these are, these are the three disciplines that, that I want you to see. Now, this third one, Paul's going to start telling us about what this means to have no confidence in the flesh. It's also a very important spiritual discipline, and I think you'll see when he shares about this. But first, I want to tell you that if you're born again through faith in Jesus, your sinful flesh is not the real you. It certainly is not. Now, understand this, that your body, my body, our bodies are a gift from God. And we are called to be good stewards of these bodies. And uh, I'm, as I say that very thing, I'm feeling very, very guilty because we are working on those leftovers. Any, uh, any New Year's resolution about how to care for your body? Anybody else? I'm cutting way down on sugar and some dairy and other things that, that I know haven't been good for me. So, but we need to care for our body. It's a gift. But the sinful nature just happens to reside in it. And we're called to have it cut away, to have it circumcised, if you will. Uh, Jesus makes a clear dis dis distinction. He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He makes a clear distinction between the two. And yet, many times I've spoken with many brothers and sisters and many pastors, even pastors, who tell me, no, 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 I'm a mixture. I'm a mixture. I can't tell one from the other. I can't, I have no way, um, I don't think that's, in accordance with the teaching of Scripture. The Lord Jesus makes a very, very clear distinction. And he said it this way also. He said, it's the Spirit who gives life. The, the flesh profits you nothing. Nothing at all. And if he said it that way, I believe it. There's, in the sinful flesh, there's no profit. Don't rely on it. So here's Paul's words. He said, I say then, 
walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. They are contrary to one another, so that you don't do the things you wish. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Paul makes the same clear distinction in every epistle, often calling the flesh the old man. And he says it very simply. It's like sometimes I wonder, uh, is it really so simple? Paul says, put it off. Put it off. Walk in the new man, because that is the real you. And so Paul goes on now. He's going to talk about the enemy within. This is his enemy. There's something inside of him. It's his sinful nature. And it stands in the way of what he's calling us to, to walk in newness of life, to walk in in continual rejoicing, um, it, uh, it stands in the way of knowing, loving, and worshiping our holy Savior, God. And he says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised, eighth day, stock of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal persecuting the church concerning righteousness which is in the law blameless and so here's pride he says you think you have confidence in your flesh listen i've got you beat here's a recipe for competition here's a recipe for strife every person trying to outdo the other and i have been there i have seen that many of you have seen that too and it's not fun It's not easy. There's nothing light. There's nothing joyful in that competition. And so he talks about circumcision, which is his procedural righteousness, if you will. He talks about being of the stock of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews. This is his pedigree righteousness, if you will. He's a Pharisee. This is professional righteousness. Uh, He talks about zeal and persecution of the church. It's his passionate passion-based righteousness. And then finally, the the law is performance-based righteousness. Now, you notice that was procedural pedigree, professional passion-based performance. Even though I don't have this message in order, at least I could do some alliteration for you this morning. And so anyway, but my question is, now look at the list. What in this list is inherently bad? What is inherently bad? Like, for example, could Paul have prevented being circumcised on the eighth day? I don't think he could have. Uh, Could he have somehow avoided being born into the stock of Israel? I don't think he could have avoided that either. If you just look at this list, um, as a young man, could he have changed his upbringing, his bar mitzvah, his pharisaical training? Could he have changed any of that? He was on, like I said, greased rails to become a leader in that whole system. He didn't have any power over any of that. Others had so much power over him. And uh, so he, he, he took time to, to warn us about it. What was the problem? The problem is just this. He took pride in all of this. He found his meaning, his purpose, his justification, his uh, value in all of these things. And they became an enemy of him dying to himself and coming alive to Jesus. You see, there's nothing here that could have made him a child of God. Nothing. 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 And 
Nothing here could have bridged the unbridgeable gap were it not for the cross of Jesus Christ in his great love. Nothing could have bridged, nothing that he found pride, took great pride in, could have bridged that incredible gap between a holy God and his sinfulness. Nothing could have taken away, cut away. Nothing could have circumcised away his sinful flesh. And so he goes on to say this. He says, but what things were gained to me? These I've counted lost for Christ. Gains in the flesh are losses by heaven's calculations. You see that? What things were gained to me I've counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost. Listen to these words. For the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, be found in him, in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Now, I, there are 17 sermons up here, and I just want to share with you a few simple, joyful things about this passage. So allow me to start with these words that he shared with us, the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. What does he mean by that? Um, how do you value this knowledge of Jesus Christ, my friend? How do you value it? Do you know him as creator of heaven and earth, as Paul shares in Colossians? And John shares in chapter 1, the creator of all things. Do you know him that way? Do you, what does it mean that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation? Why did he tell Mary, Lazarus' sister, I am the resurrection and the life? How is he then, if he's the lamb who was slain, how is he then the lion of the tribe of Judah? How is he the bright morning star? What does it mean that he's the first and the last, the alpha and the omega? What does it mean? What did he mean when he said, I and the Father are one? What, is it, what does it mean? What did he mean when he said, before Abraham was born, I am? Or what did he mean when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life? No man comes to the Father except but by me. If he, our Jesus, is all of these things, I'm talking about the excellence, what Paul found, the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. If he's all of these things, when he walked on the earth, why did Jesus seek out widows, handicapped, lepers, blind by accident, blind from birth, people regarded useless by society? Why are the scriptures, why is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John so filled with so many meetings with people that society found worthless? What does it mean that he calls us to follow him in his amazing love? What does that mean for South City Church, for you, for me? Why did he associate with mere fishermen and from them call his disciples? 
Listen, I know of people who have become street people just so that they could qualify for Jesus' attention. Yeah. There's an author, Brandon Manning, wrote a book about that. He's confessing more. I'm not saying you need to do that, but think about who Jesus was. Look at his humility, his incredible love for the lost and for the underprivileged and the you know, people that society didn't want. Think about the great I am who came in the flesh and was, was uh, born in a stable and placed in a, in a manger and became a friend of sinners, your friend, my friend. And look at this line here. Have you suffered loss? Now, Paul says, I've suffered loss of all things. I'm sure he meant in which my sinful pride ever took pleasure or, or, or value. I've suffered the loss of those things because I value Jesus more. What about you? What stands in the way of you really coming to know Jesus Christ? Is there something that you have valued, something that you are pride, prideful about that you don't want to let go? Think about it. Think about it. Can you count them, call them rubbish like he does here? My goodness. My goodness. And Paul said, he gained Christ. Have you gained him? And he was found in him. Have you been found in Jesus Christ? But he goes on to say that he had the righteousness, and this is what he's striving for, what he wants is to have the righteousness, which is from God by faith. Do you have that? Listen. If you gained all the world had to offer, power, possessions, pleasure, and I'm not going to alliterate anymore, glamour, status, riches, fame, all of that, and you didn't have Jesus? If you didn't have Jesus' love and forgiveness, to say nothing of his righteousness, how satisfied would you really be? What kind of confidence could you really have before God? What kind of peace could you have? And he goes on to say that it might know him and the power of his resurrection. You know, this, this phrase here is, is amazing because it has everything to do with you walking in the new life that God call, uh, has created you to be, to walk in. And that's why I've given you the picture of the empty tomb here, that you can realize this. When you gave your heart to Jesus and he came into your life, you were united with him. You forever, no longer to be separate. Maybe there's somebody in here who has given his heart to the Lord and doesn't, doesn't quite get this, but to be united with Christ happens the very moment he comes into your heart. When you give your heart to him and you say, Lord, I believe, I want to know you, I want to follow you, I'm, I'm your, I want to be your child, and he forgives your sins, he washes your sins away. Not your sinful nature, it's there for you to carry and to fight, but he washes your sins away as far as you're justified with the Father in heaven. That gap he bridged it. He bridged that gap. So when you invite him in, you unite with Jesus Christ. You're united with him in his death, in his sufferings. Yes. And you're united with him in his resurrection. And the new person that you really are depends on his resurrection power. Friends, brothers and sisters, 
If you have Jesus in your heart, you have his resurrection power in your heart. I want to know the power of his resurrection so that as I struggle, and I struggle a lot with this sinful flesh, as I struggle with it, I can realize what kind of power that is that's in Christ who is in me. Paul says, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. His resurrection power, if he's in your heart, so is his resurrection power. It's just that we have so many trials and temptations and distractions that sometimes we just lose sight of it. Paul was no different. He also had all the distractions of life and illnesses and prisons and sorrows upon sorrows. Yes, but he realized his calling, what he was calling to press on into. And I'm asking you this morning to do the same. You are united with Christ. And that is what Paul is talking about. We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works with God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them in 2019. And in these last days of 2018, the fellowship, to know the fellowship of his sufferings. These, are, these, these mystify me. These mystify me. Have I ever wanted to know the fellowship of suffering, to, to go into suffering? Do I, do I want to do that? No, I don't want to do that. Uh, these mystify me, to be conformed to his death. And then these words mystify me. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, well, who wants to suffer? Listen, who wants to? But you know what this is about? This is about rewards. This is about rewards. Uh, Jesus said this about rewards, by the way, and it is concerning suffering. Remember, this is a derivative. Paul's teaching is derivative from the teaching of our Lord Jesus. Look at this. Blessed are you. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely. For my sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And attaining the resurrection, I, I haven't demystified that wholly because I know Paul knows he's going to be resurrected on the last day. Jesus is the resurrection. He knows that in part he's already resurrected because he has this new life that's dependent on the power of his resurrection. He doesn't know it fully. He wants to know it better. But here it is, attaining a better resurrection. This is a, from uh, the Hebrews, uh, the letter to the Hebrews. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a what? Better resurrection. That helps to defog some of this business of attaining. And this is what Paul is talking about. He's passionate about this. He realizes that everything that happens in this life, to him for Jesus' sake, and as he endures and walks through those things that were happening to him, he is seeking a better resurrection. Do you have that passion? Listen, I don't have it enough. And I think it might be the reason that I'm speaking to you today. I want to have that passion. I want, to, I want that passion to grow in my heart. Pray for me. I will pray for you. As we gather together, as we seek these things together, to be masters of these simple, joyful di disciplines, I believe, I believe that we are going to discover things we will rejoice and we will be exceedingly glad. It's not that 2019 will be easy. There's going to be things that we're going to have to press into and press through in 2019, dear friends. So let me go on to these words. 
He's saying, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ also laid hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And here is where I trust and pray, and I truly believe we all have the same mind. Can you say with Paul this morning, I haven't attained. I just, I haven't made it yet. Not in worship, not in rejoicing in the Lord, and not in putting off the old man and having no confidence. I like to say, let's, let's say not no confidence, let's call it sub-zero confidence. Let's have sub-zero confidence in our, in our sinful flesh and build on the things that God is building on, okay? Uh, I think we do have the same mind in this. You know, Paul was uh, called to be an apostle, but there's something even deeper. Do you see? This is not about him being the best apostle ever, although that's part of it. He's saying these are the very things that I'm not perfected in. I haven't attained, and I want to. And he shared it in verse 3. That was my point one two and three finally he he put him in good order i think uh so and just what has paul attained and what does he say i press on well let's just look at this um this is what has happened in south city church i'm going to share some things that happened from the time south city church started pressing on and pressing into the savior and what the savior has done for us in this church let's look at october 2016 through december 2017 how many were saved 38 people, every soul. It's just not a number, dear friends. These are, these are precious, precious souls that came to Jesus in that period of time. How many were baptized? Six were baptized in that period of time. And then new partners, 48 new partners. The Lord, the Lord alone builds his church. And on we go. January through December, this is 2018. What happened? How many people do we know gave their hearts to Jesus? and have found that new life, 42, and then baptized 11, and 40 new partners. How good is our God? Uh, we're so, I'm so grateful. I know you share that gratitude of all the good things the Lord has done in 2018. But Paul said, forgetting that which is behind. Well, we'll keep track of our statistics, but what are we going to leave behind? Dear friends, let's leave behind in 2018 everything that kept us from walking and following our Savior. Let's, let's let those things go. Let's put off that old man. Let's learn what kind of worship the Lord, the worshiper the Lord is seeking, what the Father is seeking in you and in me. Let's discover what it really means in hard times, in sorrow upon sorrow, or in good and joy upon joy, to rejoice in the Lord. And thirdly, Let's have sub-zero confidence in the flesh. Sub-zero, I hope that's not the weather, but I hope that uh, we have sub-zero confidence in the flesh, okay? So that our trust and our confidence is in Him, is in Him. And I believe the Lord will do amazing things because He will bring, not, bring forth the kind of fruit from these disciplines that we've already shared in this beautiful hymn that we sang together. So... What's ahead in 2019? There's the Roots training is coming up. 
We have, uh, oh, by the way, uh, 11 city groups, and we're planning on launching two in the, in the new year, just ahead. Um, but I just wanted to say that we have places for you to grow where you can share these disciplines and, and you can learn and grow in them. We're, we're starting a discipleship institute called the Roots Study, and I believe we're going to start that January, right, Drew? And uh, he may share more about that. There's a leadership cohort, and we walk through the book of Acts together as those who want to become leaders. Now, when we talk about being leaders in the biblical sense, it's about being a servant, being a better servant of God's people, serving ever more passionately, ever more effectively. That's what the leadership cohort is going to be about. So, dear friends, that's, that's it. Those are the things I believe that God wants us to have the same mind in we're not all mature. I'm not mature as I should be. I want to become more mature. I need your prayers for that. Uh, but to the degree that you and I have already attained, listen, let's walk by the same rule. Let's be of the same mind. And let's press on. Let's press forward. Let's press on.